Hey everyone, just before we get into this week's episode, we want to thank our sponsors for today, the Medical Defence Union. The MDU support doctors facing medical legal issues and are the market leaders for indemnity in the UK, being also run by doctors. Become a member today to access their 24-hour medical legal helpline and other cool resources, including their free online CPD courses and journals. Check them out on their socials for guidance and advice, including their exciting competitions. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. Today we're joined by another amazing guest, someone that I've been waiting to a podcast with for a while. With us today we have Dr. James Somaru. So before I give you a bit about his background, he's like the plug, the connect in the health tech world. He's the founder of Somex Agency, which is a health tech agency and is supporting some of the best health tech companies in the world. He is the host of the health tech podcast which is listened to more than a hundred countries where he kind of steps into the minds of leading health tech industries in some of the biggest companies in the world. He's had other roles. He's had leadership positions in the NHS, worked for journals. He was a director of two accelerators and is a contributor to Forbes. So he is the creme de la creme. He is the plug of this new health tech med tech world. Thanks for joining us, James. How are you, mate? I'm very good. That's a very kind introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> Glad to be here. Now, there's so many accolades. Yeah, there's so many accolades. I don't know where to start, where to end, but it's, it's very impressive and you're kind of leading the way for us juniors to follow. Thanks, um, buddy. But yeah. So, the usual traditional scrubbed in way is I know you're like, I describe you as like the Oprah Winfrey of the health tech world. <laughs> give us a bit of Love insight. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, give us a bit of insight in terms of where you are today and how it all started from the point of do you know what i want to be a medic i want to go to med school and kind of briefly tell us about that journey so we get insight into your background yeah sure so i suppose starting starting from where i am today then just to give you that kind of context so as you as you said in the in the the very kind intro i'm yeah the founder of somex (laughs) which is health tech agency and we support the best health tech startups in the world and we solve a lot of problems for them mainly through better communication so whether that's through video audio you know podcasts articles social media as well as kind of press and pr we solve problems for startups by doing all of that stuff now if you had told me five or ten years mm-hmm. ago or 15 years ago that i'd have a pr company or a comms company whatever you want to call it I would, uh, or an agency, yeah. I would have just called you insane and <laughs> said that was definitely not what I was <laughs> going to be or what I was going to do. But um, yeah, I let go of any kind of preconceived ideas I had about myself and my career uh, a few years ago, which has allowed me to kind of lean into what I'm actually good at and what I enjoy. But I can uh, tell you the mm-hmm. story that, that I was never a medic that was that loved medicine, basically. I never a medic that loved medicine. I, mm-hmm. I never particularly remember a time that I wanted to do medicine it was just one of the things I fell into you know top of the class um it's medicine or law you know father was an immigrant from Mauritius he did nursing for half his career then he bought and sold nursing homes for the second half so he was around at a time where you know the consultant on the ward was like a demigod and so he wanted that for his son yeah and so it was kind of imprinted in yeah. me relatively early that that's just what I was going to do. It's not that I particularly resisted it, um, but it's just that mm. I kind of ended up in medicine. And I think that from people that mm. I've spoken to, I think that's quite a relatable thing for quite a lot of people that, that they just sort of found themselves yeah. in in medicine, basically. In medicine. Um, I definitely agree. Yeah. 
exactly right and i just kind of i kind of got comfortable with the fact that the thing that you did during the day you weren't really meant to enjoy that much and so school didn't really enjoy it that mm. much like academic academia and like revising for stuff and it was the same with med school i was like oh that's just the thing you do in the day that you're not meant to enjoy and you do your fun stuff later so i was mm. off you know djing and yeah. doing all sorts of cool stuff at uni that wasn't medicine yeah. but i thought that was my fun time <laughs> and then i just go and learn about pharmacology and yeah. molecular biology in the day because who the hell actually enjoys that stuff you know <laughs> but it turns out people did and i think when i then became a doctor it was very clear to me that you know i was so proud of being a doctor i really enjoyed telling people i was a doctor because it was a hard slog for me med school it was i was an average student mm. um mm. I was better when I actually got on the warts and I, it was about people and it was about getting things done. And it was about yeah. like, an, like any other job, I suppose, just being an operator on the ground floor and not, not an operator in mm. terms of surgery. I mean, an operator just operating within a structure an organization, a business and what you have to do to make that work. So it is a lot about building relationships with people yeah. and getting things done and that sort of side of, of it I was good at. And so whilst I didn't enjoy the science and I didn't enjoy the thought of, I don't know, going and revising for more exams and all that sort of stuff. What I did enjoy was solving mm. problems in the hospital. And so I started doing quality improvement projects, which is basically, you know, I suppose most of your listeners know, but, you know, finding a problem to solve that isn't a patient problem and actually going and solving it. So I learned how to write business mm. cases by shadowing people in finance and shadowing the chief exec, which yeah. still remains my best advice for people that want to do something different in medicine is go and shadow people on the management side because you get rid of this mm. uh, them and us mentality. You understand that they're just people too. And if you're jealous that they went home at five, well, they just made a better career choice than yeah. you if you wanted to go home at five. So <laughs> actually there's uh, there's a lot to be said about people on that side of the fence. But anyway, I learned a lot from those people and stuff, but it led to everything that I do now, right? It led to me running accelerators. It led to me working in startups. It led to me working in technology companies. And then to cut a long story short, if you want that bit of the story, I can go into more detail, but um yeah started helping startups and lent in towards communication because i wrote for forbes and the podcast was going well basically so that's a really kind of quick rundown as yeah. to as to my story um talk us a little through your decision making uh process when you decided to actually sort of take that leap of leaving clinical medicine um how did you sort of adjust yourself into taking such a risk i mean medics today um, it's quite a risky thing to do and not a lot of people will even take a year out to even, even become a locum because the, the concept of having jobs ad hoc and not having something consistent, something secure for a whole year is a bit alien. Yeah, I get that and I, I completely appreciate that and completely understand it and I have a lot of empathy for that because it is and it, it can feel like that. What I would say is that I, I too am risk averse and actually I was never going to take a leap. It was never something that I thought was sensible or that I wanted to do and if and Jesus if my dad got wind of that like <laughs> I was just leaping into the unknown yeah, like oh my goodness I think he still <laughs> thinks I work for guys in St. Thomas's but like that's absolutely fine. Um, oh wow. But basically, yeah, yeah, so the decision-making process for me was like, look, I wasn't, I wasn't taking joy from medicine. I was, I was enjoying the businessy side of it. I was writing these business cases and getting things done in the hospital. And I was speaking to technology companies and all that side of things. And I just lent into it. And what that led me to realize was that there are all these ways mm. that you can still be in healthcare, use the fact you've been a clinical medic, and you can apply that in a way that can benefit healthcare in the future. And I learned that just because I was trying to taste loads of stuff, right? I was I was having phone calls with startups about what I could do for them. I was looking at policy and all that sort of mm. stuff. But I, I guess the actual way that I leapt, if you will, 
is through fellowships. And for those that don't know or might not know what fellowships are, they're essentially just year-long programs where you can have a foot in medicine and a foot out. And so you still are Mm. technically part of the training system. You haven't exited the training system, but you've got a nine-to-five job. And in my case, at Health Education England, you know, I applied for the FMLM leadership scheme, so the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management leadership scheme. Uh, Mm. It was Bruce Keogh's scheme at the time. Um, And I really enjoyed it because I had time. I had time to think and I and I started learning again. I was on the steep part of the learning curve in terms of policy. And the thing is, I, mm. I was interested in learning policy because it constantly came up as a barrier whenever I was trying to innovate in the hospital. You know, I was naive in the in the hospital trying to change stuff. I, I naively thought that, that things mm. would just be done on common sense, whereas actually there's this thing called policy, which is the way that these organizations are sort of <laughs> mandated to run. And I thought, well, if this keeps coming up as a barrier, I might as well try and learn it, which is what led me to find that scheme. It led me to apply to it. And they take th- about 30 doctors a year if they still do do it. So it was great oh, wow, because nice. you, yeah. you, I was around people that, you know, I was at HEE, but there was people at NHS England, Department of Health, CQC, NICE, the BMJ. Like people were kind of everywhere, which was awesome because we would all then meet and discuss what we were doing. And it just, it, long story short, it made me understand the back end of healthcare and then, that then equipped me with all the skills I needed to go and run an accelerator. And they were launching, and you know, this is, this is just dumb luck, right? They were launching digitalhealth.london at the time, the accelerator. So I, I yeah, applied for that, yeah. joined as part of like the founding team. And then again, it was still paid for by the NHS. I was paid by guys and Sir Thomas's. My pay slip was from them because it was funded by the NHS. It was based at the Academic yeah. Health Science Network in South London, the HIN, the Health Innovation Network. So I was still paid by the yeah. NHS. I could still go back. It was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. But by then, I'd learned how to run an accelerator. And I remember when I walked into that accelerator, mm. um, which, by the way, people don't know, an accelerator is a, is a program that, you know, startups can apply to and they get some help. So whether that, you know, support advice, guidance, connections, money, what, whatever it is, but an accelerator helps these technology companies normally kind of become better and so I ran one of those for the NHS helping those startup companies get into the NHS but yeah I can remember when I walked in there I had four PDFs on my desktop which were riffs on the theme of how to start your own accelerator which I knew, read and mm. learnt but then I went into that accelerator just knowing and thinking I want my own at some point and then again just by complete yeah, yeah. luck I met someone who had the same vision who was also a, a, a medic um, and then we launched HS and went from there so that's I guess the story of, of, of taking the leap as you will I never saw it as that I was always risk averse and I wanted to protect my own risk and career mm. by doing as much as I possibly could and so for me it was it was the opportunities through fellowships to learn all of those different skills whilst being able nice. to flip back if yeah. I really hated it and really could hmm. and I think what you mentioned, James, is quite important. And it's a good insight. It's taking that leap of faith doesn't necessarily mean you're leaving clinical medicine forever. You can still have an impact on patients. If not, sometimes through entrepreneurship, through these startups, you can have even better impact on a greater scale, um, which is quite important for people to know. I think people are under the assumption, if I want to do something amazing, I need to leave clinical medicine altogether yeah. and I'll never have any patient contact. So you kind of highlighted you don't really need to do that yeah i think people think um, of it in a really binary bring, way yeah. right they, they kind of think yeah. that you've got to be a yeah. clinical medic one day and then like founder of a company and do all these different skills the next day <laughs> you can learn those skills yeah. as a medic you can take mm. your spare time to shadow people in finance to shadow people in management you've got access to those people within healthcare to do that you can spend that time 
trying to, I don't know, buy a load of watches from China and try and flog them on a website. You'll learn how to build a website. You'll learn marketing. Yeah. You'll learn supply chain. Like you'll learn mm. so much stuff by just by just trying stuff outside of your own time, but still having a nice paid job that you're proud of doing. I mean, that's kind of what I did. I was building yeah. websites and, and doing all that sort of stuff and, and mm. you know, learning that side as well, which means that, you know, I ended up with, with lots of different skills. But as I say, yeah, there's there's no need to take a leap of faith. You don't need that. You can build up your skills and transition over. That's that's the way that I would probably do things. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of brings me on to the next topic I want to touch on with you. So this whole thing with medics starting to become a bit more tech savvy. A lot of them are founders, co-founders. A lot of them are entrepreneurs. Um, there's this massive emphasis on personal branding. Um, what has been your experience with personal branding? When did you first start to realize that personal branding is such an important thing? And how do medics go about building a great personal brand? Because this is all new to the world of medicine, I think. It is. I, I'd, say, I'd say it is, yeah. I think um, it's funny, I suppose, my journey through personal branding because, again, I, I never really knew what it was. Um, and I've heard people describe branding as basically the thing that makes people come to you rather than you going to them and so in my world now they talk about you know sales companies that will like cold email everybody and put them into the funnel and try and close them and do that sort of stuff whereas if you build brand you just get everybody coming to you and that's probably a really good way of how i think about my personal brand which is that i want to position myself in the online space whatever that is as basically a magnet for opportunity i I want people to see me Mm. i want people to know me i want people to know my philosophy and the way i think about things and and what i want to do in my life Mm. and career because then i believe that by putting all those vibes out then people will come across me and end up getting in touch with me to help me do something that i want to do in my life and so that's that's kind of the purpose Mm. of it i think really practically speaking I suppose the first time I remember anything to do with personal brand was when I remember LinkedIn sort of, maybe it didn't come out in this year, but it it certainly came on my radar and a few of us that we were sort of working Mm. in London, but it was, it was known as the Facebook for work. It's like, oh, there's this thing coming out, which is like Facebook for work. And it was, what year was it? (laughs) It was when I was an F2. So whenever that was, what, 2012? Um, so I think LinkedIn was, yeah, it was around that time. Yeah, 12, that's 13. when it was. It? It yeah, 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 that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, and, yeah, and so I remember getting it yeah. and being a really early adopter to it in terms of like the people that I knew. Some of my mates in the city yeah. were on it, obviously, but there were no medics and no doctors on Fair it. Enough. But I just thought, you know, I'll just stick myself on here and just see what happens because um, mm. I was just into like tech and stuff and it just made sense for me to like have a play with this new platform that everyone was banging on about. So filled out my profile but i like filled out my profile like you can see you, i think you can still see if you got my profile now i've got is, like my f1 yeah. audits on there like, and stuff oh, wow. and stuff like that not that i've updated yeah. any kind of projects on there since but so, they had like so a project you, you, function yes you fill it up as a medical fill up application right yeah you, literally you don't leave any white space you're gonna make sure everything's fill it there to the brim. you're gonna make everyone aware yeah, of if that you're gonna do that, something wrong do it right mate. exactly 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 do you know what i mean no all right so <laughs> so i feel so i filled that thing in and then it was so bizarre because obviously if you if you think about who in medicine and who in healthcare 
would have one of those profiles. It wasn't all the clinical doctors. It was only, I suppose, the most tech savvy or the most inquisitive or arguably the most innovative. Do you know what I mean? It was it was that cohort. And so yeah. the network that I then yeah. started to build the on LinkedIn doctors. was of these kind mm. of innovative medics or innovative people in healthcare. And so I ended up in groups yeah. and conversations and LinkedIn was used a bit differently back then. But, you know, I ended up kind of building network from those things. And it's why even today, you know, if I get whiff of a new platform like TikTok or something like mm. that, I'm on it straight away. Bang. I, I, I might not be creating content. Well, I'm not creating on TikTok, but I'm certainly absorbing okay. on TikTok because there are doctors on there. There are psychologists <laughs> yeah. on there. There are yeah. loads of people across clinical stuff on there, right? Nurses. And, Definitely. you know, there's, lo- there's loads of like interesting stuff on there. But I, I'm interested and intrigued to know what, where the next bit of attention is and platform and all, all that sort of stuff because I want to understand it. And so, yeah. yeah, that's 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 kind of the story on personal brand and how it started for me. Because then I realised that by putting out the right information, you can get attention and you can get um, you can get stuff inbound. And then it just led me to keeping Definitely. my profile really up to date. And then it led me to yeah. thinking, okay, well, I can put out some information that people find useful, and then that brings more people to the table. And so it became about that. And I don't know. I was always into Mm. photography as well. And so I had an Instagram and a similar sort of thing was happening there that like, you know, putting nice photos out and people get into like, it's, it's all kind of the same thing, but I suppose you you have the opportunity online to, to craft the image that you want. Now, I I think I do caveat that with the best image that you can put out is the authentic one, because that is always going to be the most valuable. It's always going to bring in the most and the right opportunities for you. But that's what then led yeah. me to being like, let me just put out as much context as possible here, which is where the podcast sort of, you know, arrived. And, you know, there's now like hundreds of hours of or a hundred hours probably of, of me speaking online. There's, there's no hiding who you are when you've got that much context online. Mm. There's no hiding your motives and your values and any of that sort of stuff. So if you're in it for the right yeah. reasons and, and all that sort of thing, then you might as well put that amount of content out because people are going to listen, people are going to get in touch. And if it's useful, if it's entertaining, if it's informative, all of those different things, then it can lead to so much Mm. inbound, so much network. And I think that's been the overall value of my personal brand, right? Is that I've now got network. And so when I launched Somex, excuse me, with, um, with a load of, you know, aspirations to, to onboard startups and funds and accelerators and corporates in the health tech space. It was like, well, here's a guy that clearly knows his shit. Yeah. So basically it just meant that I had this network, right. And it was authentic because people knew I knew what I was talking about. Um, and so when I launched some X or they soft launched or arguably stealth or whatever you want to call it through word of mouth, people getting in touch. And so that, that ended up being the value. And it's like the other day when I started that newsletter, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called health tech pigeon. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, I don't like newsletters. I, I, in fact, I hate newsletters. I never read them. They're too long and boring. Um, but people are asking me to start one because they they value my you know position in the space to you know in the UK and health tech and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, well, I'll start it, but it's going to be super short. It's not going to be that exciting. It's just going to be like the top lines that. Well, it is actually going to be a bit <laughs> exciting. It's going to be like the stuff I actually find interesting. So there is a bit of like doctors on TikTok on yeah. there. There's a bit of you know, big raises of money from the US of like, you know, cool startups, but similarly, there's a bit of stuff about NHSX or accelerators that are going on. But yeah, I think, you know, when I launched it, it was like 250 signups like on the first day or something like, because people oh, just wow. wanted oh, that wow. sort of content, hey, right? Like, yeah. so again, it's just the value of personal yeah. brand though. If you put out the right stuff and you're authentic, then people want to get that information from you and they want you get that attention on you. So 
I think no matter what sector you're in, it, it's so important. And it's it's your reputation at the end of the day. It's what you want to be known for. And I always want mm. to be known for somebody that's that does what they, what they say they're going to do and mm. has a high standard of delivering things. And I think that has led to, you know, all of this sort of stuff. It's why I fill out my profile absolutely full to the brim. And it's why that, you know, if you promise mm. things for a client, you, you deliver and then you over deliver. Uh, so, yeah. Definitely. So that kind of brings me on to the, next point is the whole concept of taking an idea right to market kind of making it a real life thing so you had somex and i'm sure you had other ideas what advice would you give to other medical students or junior doctors or medics it might even be a consultant of how do you go about when you do have an idea how do you bring it to fruition how do you bring it to real life i think a lot of medics see other people doing it but they never know how to go about it for themselves what is that process and how does it all work from your experience of, you know, kind of running excellent? Yeah, there's so many, there's so many ways that I can answer this question, mate. Like, there's there's the kind of ideological element and the the, the I suppose the what would you call it? Uh, the ph- philosophical element. There's that. There's the practical element. I mean, the the, the first thing you've got to do really is is like give a damn about the problem you're trying to solve. The second thing is you've got to be good mm. at it, and I think. Yeah. A lot of people go wrong in both of those things because they think either something's going to make mm. them loads of money and they don't actually care that much <laughs> about solving the problem or they really care deeply about solving the problem and they try and do it themselves and they don't actually have the skill and expertise to do it. And so you've got to find this problem that you do care about but that you also have the skills to solve or indeed that you go out and get the skills to solve that problem or indeed you find somebody as a co-founder with the skills that can help you solve that problem and so a classic one for healthcare and medics right is is that they spot something in the hospital a problem that needs solving and they go and find a a data scientist or a, a computer scientist or an engineer and they partner up 50-50, one knows the domain, one knows the tech, one CEO, the other one CTO, and they work all day, all night, outside their normal job hours to build something that they think can solve the problem. They then show it to that hospital or <clears throat> that patient or that group of people or that clinician or whatever, and they ask for feedback and they and, and they get feedback. They change their platform, they ask for more feedback, they change their platform, and eventually they get it to a point where somebody says, I'll try it. And then they try it, they get some good results and then they ask somebody to buy it and then they run into a load more problems because no one's actually going to buy it. And so they go on this more, you know, another feedback loop of trying to figure out what, what would make somebody buy it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually someone buys it and then they try and do it for the next place. And they have to customize it and change it. So that's kind of the way it tends to go from what I've seen. I think for me, it was very different because I think, and this is useful for people listening, I think is that coming to, I suppose, the philosophy more of it now is that you've got to have the self-awareness of knowing what it is you're good at, but also what it is you like. And I think for a long time, I had a perception of myself that was actually incorrect, that I wanted to be something that I didn't actually like, just because I thought that would look good, like good optics to be this sort of founder and found this sort of company. And, you know, be the guy who owns a VC fund and in health, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, you can, you can have these perceptions of yourself. It's quite interesting for me, especially when all these opportunities arose, cause I did, you know, the BSc in innovation tech and whatnot. And it was like, I saw it as I want to get involved in projects, which seem super cool, 
which I may not have necessarily been passionate about. And it's stuff like, yeah, I want to be a hedge fund manager. I want to run my own VC. I want to run my own accelerator. Whereas stuff I may not have necessarily had a passion. Um, so I think it's important you flag that and raise it. A lot of people kind of chase that. They chase the title and foundership of certain companies that are perceived to be cool, yet are not in line with their innate personalities mm-hmm. and passions. We, we also do that in medicine, though, don't we? Even as students, we'll, so a lot of us will shy away from the specialties that maybe aren't seen so great and we'll go around saying we'll do this we'll become this we aspire to do 100%. this and you really have you really have no interest in a lot of people say surgery for example and they've got no interest really and truly in surgery it doesn't excite them whilst maybe medicine does or maybe sports medicine does instead but we choose to use the buzzwords that really make everyone it happened well, a lot in my in my sort of really time cool. in medicine man with um with with general practice you know it's it's seen as yeah often seen as the lesser specialty but i tell you who's absolutely laughing yeah. all the way to their family at five o'clock every night and <laughs> yeah. like probably to the bank as well you know i mean i'm being reductive here I'm, exactly. they do work along with that but like do you know what i mean that like portfolio careers are much easier in general yeah, practice yeah. you can that you know there are a lot of gps that are extremely happy with their choice and a lot of people that probably went into surgery and and you know tried to become the cardiothoracic surgeon that that actually if they had the self-awareness to realize that later down the line their priorities might change and they might actually care more about their family rather than writing papers at the weekend then general practice might have been a better route for them and and, you know i remember writing a a paper for hge actually it was a it was a pretty much a full report i think that we ended up sort of co- Mm writing or helping or thing whatever but it was about this and you know i was going around the country talking to uh talking to medical students actually from different universities about their yeah. perceptions of general practice um yeah it, and it was it was it was super interesting because you know so many consultants actually when they're on ward rounds will just be like if there's a it's stupid stuff like that they'll be the ones to denigrate gp and they'll they'll be like um Oh, if, yeah. if someone gets a question wrong, like, oh, you're, you're going to be the GP. Like, that's, like, that sort of stuff. And it's just like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like, that's exactly our reaction. How, how is that your yeah. opinion? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But as I say, there, but it, there but are it many makes, people happy with It, it makes them feel better. Correct. It, it it's makes, their insecurity. Guess, yeah. Comments like that. Exactly. Yeah. So all the specialties in medicine, all the specialties between surgery, they'll, they'll be sort of, uh, relegating the other specialties to lower yeah. sort of status. I genuinely believe like a lot of medics, like consultants, they look at GPs and I don't think they will openly admit it. But deep down, I know they think like, do you know what? That was that little sweet spot in medicine. There it is. It's yep. that one specialty. <laughs> you, you can do everything, right? And, and, and they and have to justify their choice by uh, by denigrating. Exactly. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. That, that's the, that, that's what happens. Um, so how we kind of want to move on because obviously you were balancing a lot of different things especially when you're doing clinical years you did the fellowships and running your own setup now how do you manage time what advice would you give to others in terms of managing time because you do need to work you do need to pay for rent you do need to survive at the same time you do need to grow and scale something to the point where perhaps it does generate enough revenue where you can transition over how do you go about that what would you advise in terms of time management yeah, it's a good it's a good question, I, and I don't I don't have a, a generic answer that would apply to everybody. I suppose the closest mm. I can get to that is is just saying prioritize. And I think for me personally, 
I know that if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I'm completely useless the next day in the sense that my temper is short. I'm not very good at solving complex problems. I'm not as good at solving complex problems. Things are likely to get on top of me. I'm more likely to get overwhelmed. And so I know for me personally, absolute top of the list is getting eight hours of sleep. I know that the second thing is I need one thing to look forward to in my week. And so I, or, you know, a couple of things to look forward to in my week in terms of the things that I love doing that that aren't my work things and so i make sure that i've got a couple of tennis matches in or you know something Mm. something like that that i i know i've got an afternoon of doing this where i can switch off for the afternoon and come back to things in the evening and and that sort of stuff i think what you're probably getting at though is how do you do so much with so little time and i think that the biggest thing there is Mm, is just again prioritizing and being efficient right and by that i don't mean trying to multitask i think that is a, a real fallacy of what's you know the modern world the sense that you can try and do 20 things at a time i'm useless doing 20 things at a time i absolutely need (laughs) to focus and you know it's why my phone is face down right now because if i get a notification my mind starts racing as to what that might be and how Mm. i solve that problem all that sort of stuff and then i get distracted and so i I think it is just about prioritizing and and, but again it comes back to self-awareness i think that again that is the most important thing is knowing yourself and knowing what you're good at and yeah uh, there's no substitute for hard work there's no no substitute for for kind of blaming anybody else and you know saying that oh you wish you'd done this you wish you'd done that i just didn't have the time well there's many a time that i left the hospital and went to a talk or went to a conference or got on a phone call like there's so many days where, where you're where you're doing all of that stuff and i think in the early the early points points of my career you've got to remember that i was in this job that i wasn't getting joy from so you know i was yeah. i was doing these long days and then i had to put my time into something that would lead to the next thing because otherwise i'd be mm. stuck in the perpetual cycle of just just another year let's just do f2 let's just do f1 let's just do my SHO is get core training out of the way. Let's just start registrar. Let's just end register. Let's just get to consult. You know, it, it keeps going that sort of yeah, stuff. And so I needed to break the cycle. Promise. So it yeah. was just a case of just, you know, putting your finger out and just actually going to those events. You know, events was a big one for me, actually. You know, I was talking about mm. personal branding and building network. I found it mm. a good way to do that stuff. I often wouldn't actually, because I'm an introvert by nature, I hate networking. And so, I wouldn't be the person that just like went around talking to everybody and building relationships and collecting business cards, but I would listen. I would listen to talks. I would I would Google who that person was. I'd find them on LinkedIn. I'd send them a mm. message afterwards and ask them what they did in their career. Like, and that's the way I did it. It was very personal to me, the way that I went about things. And I was very measured and just did a lot of learning and then landed on that fellowship yeah. thing of like, that's the way I do it because it's right for me and, and think, all that sort yeah. of stuff. And it's a good point you made, James. It's, there is also an element of, when you do start out you do need to listen you do need to learn i feel that a lot of people they see things happening and they automatically assume that it's super easy and they can just go out and do it all of a sudden and once they do kind of embark on this journey they realize like you mentioned they may not have the skill set they may not have the expertise to do it so it is important to kind of learn and not think do you know what i'm a founder and that kind of brings me on to the second point where it seems on everyone's Twitter bio, everyone's LinkedIn, everyone's Instagram, wherever it is, everyone's a, a co-founder or a founder first and then <laughs> a medic second. Um, and I was going to say, what do you think of that one? And the second thing, do you think this health tech, med tech is a bubble similar to like the dot com in the 90s, as in everyone's getting involved? 
Um, a lot of money is moving around. Some of them may collapse and it will just end up all being kind of bought out or being employed, you know, by the top five, I don't know, people like Babylon. What is your thought process behind that? Because I want to know that. Yeah, so there's there's two definite distinct questions asked. The first one was about um, mm. what do you think of everyone being a founder? And the second one was about mm. the bubble, mm. right? So, okay, so in terms of everybody yeah. being a founder... I've got absolutely no problem with it. I, you know what? I, I think if you have got the ambition and you've got the drive and you've you've figured out that you want to start a company and you you register on company's house and you get those documents and you file your taxes and you you, you file your accounts, like you know, if you if you go through that journey and and you know if you make a bit of money and and start like if you do one deal. All of that stuff is linear on a learning journey, right? And you've learned a hell of a mm. lot doing that and you should feel proud and congratulate yourself for doing that. And so, you know what? Really yeah. good. If what you're saying is all these people that say co-founder haven't even done that and blah, blah, blah. I still think, you know mm. what? Good for you that you've put it on your bio because you've made yourself accountable because you've said to the world, look, mm. I'm, I'm trying to solve this problem. I'm trying to do this thing. And so, you know what? I just think fair play to you for, for saying that and for doing that. I think it's great. Um, I know that pro- what you probably want me to say there was like, it's ridiculous, it's ludicrous. Like these people aren't mm. real founders, but you know what? <laughs> like, like I, I don't, I don't take that view because I, I just think people are inherently good, right? I don't think anybody's trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I don't think, I think people are just expressing their pride for trying to solve a problem. And, and they yeah. think being a company director's cool or founder's cool, like fine, whatever, but there's also a lot that comes along with that mm. that they are also going to learn at the same time. And they've made themselves accountable yeah. by saying it online. Now, exactly. I don't know if, the, if their motivations go beyond that. And, and if they do, like whatever, it's probably case by case. But you know what? As a general rule, I think I, I think that's actually really good. And for the space, for the health tech space, and it'll segue me into the second bit of the question, I think the more founders that are out there, the better in a lot of ways because there'll be a lot of people knocking on doors. There'll be a lot of people asking to solve problems. It means that people will be thinking about this stuff a lot more. And I am a believer that, mm. you know, the more energy like that that's out there, and I mean that almost scientifically of like, you know, mm. the, the the people asking questions, people having to think about those answers, people having to have conversations about adopting new technology, it's going to be more and more and more if everybody believes they're a founder, right? So I actually think that's yeah. a really good thing for the space because it helps it mature. It helps the whole ecosystem develop. Well, it's a pretty trite phrase, but... I, I, I do mm. believe that. And in terms of like a bubble bursting, I I don't know. I, and I don't know if that's the right phrase because that's, for me, yeah. that suggests that there's a load of money in this and the markets are all going to collapse. I don't think there's actually a load mm. of money in this at the minute. Mm. I don't th- mm. there aren't like loads of digital health funds that are chucking loads of money into stuff. It's it's not it's not the case. It's not it's not like there's all these venture funded companies that aren't going to end up exiting and all the rest of it. There are some, but they're relatively few mm. and far between and actually they're doing all right in health tech mostly. They're all, you know, trotting along quite well in and slow growth, which is expected in healthcare because in health tech because it's regulated and it involves clinical medicine. You can't move fast and break things if it's patient facing, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, I don't mm. think it's a bubble yeah. that's going to burst. It doesn't strike me as that. I, I think it's 
I, th- I think it's an interesting space that's going to grow slowly, but it has to grow patiently. And, you know, like we said about listening, right? I think that's what the investors do. They they are more patient. There was a fund that launched yesterday, Chris Degali Ventures, pure health tech fund. You know, Fiona's a consultant radiologist. She's now the founder and managing oh, wow. partner. They've got a single LP in, in this Danish family office that funded mm. them. So, you know, she's a ground floor medic that can make these decisions and all that side of things. And so, you know, she understands patient capital. She talks about it in the in the TechCrunch article, mm. you know, that there needs to be more mm. runway afforded to get over regulatory hurdles. That was literally it in black and white, and it's so true. And so I think the more kind of well, money that's, that's around nice. in the system mm. like that means that you're far less likely to get, you know, 100 million raised and then, boom, it all explodes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think that's going to be the case, although um, not mm. entirely my area of expertise, I'd say. No, definitely. Yeah. I agree. And I think, and I'm glad you mentioned and echoed that. And it's always nice coming from someone like yourself, as in one of the main reasons we set up the podcast was doctors aren't solely doctors. And I know people kind of get a lot of hate on Twitter. I don't know if you saw the magazine with a couple of the med influencers and they were getting slated saying, you know, you took an oath to save lives. You should only be concerned with being a doctor. Mm. You shouldn't worry about other problems. And it's kind of disheartening to see that. So we do kind of promote doctors aren't just doctors they do have other interests and hobbies outside of medicine and i do agree yeah we do need more medics in this sphere just to improve and kind of develop the the whole ecosystem something that james said which was really powerful was the fact that more people becoming founders more people asking the right questions and making them socially accountable for it it does also adopt the behavioral transition in the sense that now we're more likely for example to take up tech now telemedicine is more likely to be accepted because loads of people are asking questions. How do we have a consultation without seeing the patient, especially with COVID around us? Um, so that, that that's really powerful. And, and I do think more people becoming founders, more people asking questions does lead to behavioral changes, which does mean also health tech, I guess, advances and becomes more accepted. And those regulatory barriers possibly also come down and become more mm. accepting. I like it. As, as, as you've just alluded to, you know, more energy out there, more of these questions. I think the, mm. the space does really well out of it. Definitely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, we're coming towards the end and I'm conscious you have you have a, an empire to build. Um, <laughs> what advice would you give to other medics, other juniors or other individuals? We do have a lot of people that are from a non-medic background in terms of personal branding, in terms of taking ideas from concept to market. What advice would you like to give or what advice do you think is important for these individuals to hear from you um i don't know about an empire to build it's, it's getting there but I, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that but <laughs> um look i think the most important thing i i i'm always data well i say data driven but I, I i like to think really practically about these bits of advice and i i the advice mm. that i would give to myself back when I was a medical student and very early junior doctor days would be that it's okay to lean into what you enjoy. And I think if I'd known that I'd have been happier quicker, I think, because I think if you look at what I'm doing now, it's basically around communication. It's writing for Forbes. Mm. It's the podcast, which is listened to in a hundred countries. It's, a company that I've built now to help other startups with communication. Now I've always known, 
I've been good at communication. I've always known that. I've always known I've enjoyed it. I've always known that I'm expressive. I might be an introvert, but I'm out of preference for expression. I'm super expressive. And even that, what I've just said, you know, I've, I've, I've had these, these uh, like Myers-Briggs tests and the rest of it that I know who I am. I know my personality and I know what I'm good mm-hmm. at and I yeah. know what I enjoy. And again, that's another piece of advice. I'd, I'd, I'd make sure you know who you are rather than the perception of who you think you want to be or how you want to be perceived. That there's actually who you actually are and what you enjoy. And I think it's th- that's the most important thing is that, that that framework has just allowed me to then lean into what I enjoyed. It just happens to have been now in my early 30s that I've done that, <laughs> lens into that stuff. Mm, yeah. Whereas it could have been a bit earlier that I got on this train. It could have been you know earlier that I was that I was writing, that I was speaking, that I was podcasting, that I was doing all those things. It could have been a lot sooner. But I had this perception yeah. of myself that was very different that I thought I was someone else. I thought I wanted something else. And it... Um, it didn't make me as happy doing that. And so I think the the most important thing is to, is to try It's again, like a really overused phrase about doing what you love. It's not as simple as that because you've got to, mm. you've, you've got to be good at it. You've got to have opportunity to do it and you've got to learn it and all those different things. But then there is a, there is a light in that tunnel where you can do what you love. And again, even when you do what you love, even what I, you know, what I do now, there's still loads of parts of my day that are stressful, that aren't pleasant, that's doing things like hiring and firing mm. and, you know, difficult conversations wow. and client meeting. You know, there's all these different things that you're not, you, you can't enjoy all of it, but I know now that at least I'm enjoying the journey a lot more than I was. And I think, you know, another bit of practical advice would be what I did, which was auditing your to-do list. Have a look at your to-do list. Have a look at what's at the very bottom of your to-do list. No matter what you think of yourself, that stuff at the bottom of your to-do list is the stuff you haven't done for ages. Therefore, that is the stuff you don't like. And have a look at the stuff that was non-urgent but flew off the top of your to-do list straight away. That's the stuff you actually like. That's yeah. the stuff you're actually good at. That's the stuff that you should focus your time on. And so rather than trying to correct for your weaknesses and try and build yourself up and and you know spend your time practicing things you're not very good at, double down on the things you are good at and, and, and do that. And so when you're not, being a doctor have a look at how you spend your free time have a look at the things you do and Mm. is there a way that you can build a a personal brand and a business and stuff out of that stuff i think that again is is super important and um you know i always like teaching i was always i would i would always wake up early to do teaching i would stay late to do teaching and so i loved educating Mm, and so that you know it's part of communication you know all of these things tied together and i was seeing these signs i just wasn't putting it all together but I think, yeah, that those those are probably like real top line top line things. And if you've got, yeah, and if you've got an idea for something, test it. You know, test it with people. Te- don't be afraid to tell people what your idea is and get feedback in the fear that they're going to steal it. They're not going to steal it. They've got their own lives. They're too busy. So ask loads of people for feedback. Find somebody that can build it. Yeah. Partner up. Build an MVP version of it and just get it out there and go on the journey of trying to solve a problem. Basically, just. No. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Make sure you enjoy it. That was that super was, sound yeah. advice, and I think it's advice that even me and Ams can take on board ourselves. James, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure loads of people probably have a bunch of questions that will probably want to be handled by you. How do they reach out to you? Where do they get the podcast? Where do they find your newsletter? 
what are your Twitter and LinkedIn handles if you're happy for people to reach out to you? Yeah, man, sure. So you can get me on uh, LinkedIn. So James Somaru, so S-O-M-A-U-R-O-O. I think I'm the only one on the planet with that name, which is ideal. Not so great growing up, but uh, <laughs> great now. Um, so, yeah, again, on Twitter, James Somaru. You even pronounce it properly. Yeah, cause... exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can click on the little yeah. speaker on LinkedIn to hear how I pronounce it. So, yeah, which is no amazing. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can get me get me on those platforms there. Uh, what else can you do? Instagram, J underscore Soms, S-O-M-S. Uh, you can um, listen to the podcast, podcast, podcast. yeah, on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. It's the Health Tech Podcast. Um, started at a time where Health Tech wasn't even one word, so it's Health Dash Tech Podcast. So terrible branding. Did move you coin the term? Is then. it yours? Because I've I've seen there's a change from Med Tech to Health Tech. Was it yours? You coined it? Or God no. Oh, up? absolutely not. There was um, before <laughs> the me. There was like there was one Health Tech, which was Maxine McIntosh's thing. Okay. There was uh, there was loads of organisations yeah. that were saying Health Tech. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't wasn't um, me but um uh, so there's all that stuff what else can you do to find me yeah there's the newsletter called health tech pigeon um i think if you google it it should pretty much be the only thing that comes up i can't imagine there's another web page that comes yeah. up with those two <laughs> those two words on it um but yeah. maybe maybe not uh but you can probably you can get that if you go to the description of some of my podcast episodes you can find a link to subscribe to that newsletter yeah, um yeah but yeah nice. get me on all get me on we'll all link stuff. it below anyway yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put the link in the description below. But um, James, I want to thank you again for taking the time out to kind of do this. I've really enjoyed it. And Absolutely, there's a lot yeah. of gems here. Um, and I genuinely believe it's a lot of people want to work with you, James Somaru, because just of, you know, who you are, you're a cool sound guy. Um, and, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And I know you're going to do so many amazing things. And I'm going to, you know, sit on the sidelines and applaud knowing, do you know what? We've got to meet the guy. Um, but yeah it's been a that's massive, massive we've we got a whole 45 kind. minutes yeah no it's, it's it's been good fun uh so thank you and a massive thank you to all our listeners as well and we hope to see you all next week and in the meantime do take care thanks james you're very welcome thank you